Morning. It's nice to see the back row, not filled. That's unusual for Nakani. You must have filled from the front tonight, maybe. Uh, it's good to see you all here and to, to come back and to continue, really, uh, where we sort of left off this morning. Tonight, really, I want it to be uh, a further study and really to see why should we give um, and what does it mean for us? What impact does that have on the church and on our life? Um, and I hope this will be very practical again. Uh, the, the mornings in this series have often been very uh, theological and biblical. That's not to say the evenings aren't, but they have a practical element to them. So that we're able to, or try to anyway, put these things into practice every week. Let's come to God in prayer, shall we, before we do that? <clears throat> Creator God, we are so thankful as we've been singing for your faithfulness to us in our lives. Day by day, and even sometimes we don't even see it, we take it for granted, but you're there, you're steadfast, you're everlasting. You are not absent, you are very present, and you sustain us. And as, as again, that hymn has said, and the, hymns that, the, song that we, the song that we've just sung, all that we have ever needed, you have provided. Help us to be reminded of that, even this evening as we read your word, and again, look at the subject of giving, being reminded that we have got what we've got because you've given it to us. So bless us now, we pray. Speak through your word, we ask, and challenge us, we ask this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we looked at two things, didn't we? If you weren't here, this is just a recap for you, so you can sort of catch up in these very brief moments. This morning we looked at two things, required giving and free will giving. So required giving and free will giving. We looked at the Levite's tithe, or the Lord's tithe, is another name for it. Secondly, we looked at the festival tithe. And thirdly, the poor tithe. And what we came to a conclusion of was that two of those tithes equaled 10%. The tithe meaning 10%. And one uh, of those tithes, that poor tithe, that 10% was given every three years. Or what you can do is divide that 10% by three, meaning 3.3% annually. And meaning that yearly, you give somewhere in approximate 25% to 30% of your assets. And I put it to you this morning that this would be equivalent to the tax that we pay in the current day. That's what they would have done in the Old Testament. However, we also considered the free will giving and offerings. And this is giving in addition to the other giving. And the important word when thinking about this, as I said this morning, was the first fruits which was giving to God the first of our income and time and that which is already and rightfully his, as I've already prayed, before we know what we, are, we will fully reap as an income at the end of the month. So this evening, I want to give you four theological and practical reasons why we should give in this way. And again, these are not uh, the... The end of this list, this is just for what I think are helpful and practical reasons to give. This is not a complete list. 
but I would write these down for your own benefit as you think of your finances and your time and this is what I think theologically we should know when we approach that subject. And the first thing is this. We give to prove God's promise. We give to prove God's promise. Turn to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. In verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, we have this paragraph. And it's a really wonderful paragraph talking about the giver. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, reality, isn't it? And then in verse 7 it says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We'll come to those last few verses. But that first verse, verse 6, we see it is, is a, backs up this idea that we can prove God's promises. You see, John Piper, the author, of, uh, author and retired pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, says this, giving is a way of having what you need. That seems a little strange, that phrase, but it's profound. Giving is a way of having what you need. And in light of the promises in 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, this is so true. For us to give generously, regularly, and in a disciplined manner, we step into the promise that he will reap bountifully. That we will reap bountifully. But my question is, what is this bountiful reaping? What does it include? Well, we read verse 8, and I think verse 8 gives us a good indication of what that Bountiful reaping is. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. What do we see here? Well, we see God's pledge to give sufficiently, or in other words, contentment. He can give us that. And an abundance for good needs. He would give us what we need for good deeds, for his work. That if our heart is right as we give, these things will be true to us. If we give cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion, we step into the blessing of sufficiency because he has promised to do so. You know, we can have great confidence, can't we? That if this is what he says he will do, if we step into the promise, then he will fulfill what he promises. He, never, he never breaks his promise. He never has and he never will. We'll turn to Malachi 3. Malachi 3.
Malachi 3 and 10 says this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. You may remember this from this morning. Bring the, the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. There's no more need. You see, God is saying, test me. Test me. Do you really think you can't afford to give? Well, just try me. See what I can do if you give generously, give regularly, and give in a disciplined manner. And here is the wonder of giving. That when we do give in this way, we then cannot afford not to give. And Jesus in Luke 6 and 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. This is not a guarantee, as I said this morning, of getting rich. It's a guarantee of an abundance for every good work and sufficiency or contentment for yourself. This is the way he designed it to be. So we can give by faith in the promises of God, knowing that we can have a peace of mind in giving away what we think we need, but we really don't. And we wrestle with that. Each one of us. Giving away what we think we desperately need, but we really don't. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So therefore, we've seen that we can prove God's promises by giving. We step into his promises by doing that and we prove him We test him as he has asked us to test him in Malachi 3 and 10. And secondly then, we see that giving is an antidote to covetousness. Giving is an antidote to covetousness. Your income is precious to you. It's precious to all of us. It's what we live on. But giving a portion of it away willingly is is a remedy for covetousness. See, the last of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not covet. And in Luke 12, 15, it says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of covetousness, or covetousness we could put as greed. And in Colossians, Paul calls covetousness, he goes as far to call it idolatry. That is what it is. It's a dangerous thing to covet. It impacts and shapes our lives. It is detrimental to our spiritual lives also. And in Hebrews it says, let your character be free from the love of money, being content. If that is not a life we are living, if that is not a life we are pursuing, then we are walking on dangerous ground. We live in a consumer age. We really do. Everything's at our fingertips. A materialistic age, and therefore... 
When we give financially, we have to fight against our desires for that which we might have bought for ourselves. And this can be a daily battle, I think, as we determine what we most desire. I suppose in some ways, just thinking about it just as I read that, it's, it's a pursuit and a, and a way for purification in our lives as well. As we go out and as we are faced with dilemmas financially, and those desires and what the outcome of those desires are, they really prove and show where our priorities really are regarding this subject. And that's what it comes down to. As we rightly examine and govern our finances, we must ask ourselves the question, what do I desire most? This new, I mean you can fill in the blank, this new car or these clothes or this house or this holiday. And let me say this, these are not uh, bad things. These are perfectly legitimate things. But what do we desire most? That's the question. We can buy cars, and we do, and clothes, and houses, and holidays. Excess of that is a problem. But my question to you would be, if you were in a dilemma, is that what do you desire most? That or giving back to the one who already gave you all that you have? And if you're doing that, then it legitimizes the other Is it the advancement of his name and giving to that cause? Jesus said you'll know where your heart is by where your treasure is. That's a challenging thing, isn't it? What do we treasure most in life? Well, there, wherever that treasure is, that is where your heart is also. And that leads us nicely onto the third point this evening. And it's this, that great governing equals Greater giving. Great governing equals greater giving. You see, governing our finances is so important. Some of us are better at it than others. But especially we must govern our finances as our income increases. For those who are experiencing that at this time or have, governing it, looking after it, uh, taking care of it, is vital. You see, there's a rule when it comes to an increase in income. And it's that our spending expands to fill our income. Maybe you know that as a reality in all your life. I've experienced that as well in the past. That no matter what I earn, my income will always match or nearly match what I spend. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. You know, if we make more, we buy more. And we can say the opposite for those who have less at their disposable at their their disposal. If you have less income, you have less outgoings. That's very natural, isn't it? So my question for us is this how do we move from filling our income with expenditure and looking like the world, if that's fair, with all we have and the way we act and spend? How do we How do we move from filling the income that we have? Well, we make a conscious decision, don't we? To give a greater and greater percentage of our income to advance the kingdom of God. 
What's the result of this for us? Well, it put on hold our natural impulse towards luxury, I think. Because we're giving it away to the, the, the one who's already given it to us. And therefore, it puts a hold on our impulse to buy those things which sometimes are not necessary. I want to read you a story here. It's, it's lengthy enough here, but it's, I read it and I thought it was brilliant and very helpful. And it's about John Wesley. And I'm just going to read it to you here. I'm just going to read it off here. Just listen to this. He was one of the great evangelists of the 18th century, born in 1703. In 1730, in 31, sorry, in 1731, he began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. In the first year, his income was 30 pounds. That's slightly different to 2019, isn't it? And he found he could give, uh, sorry, he could live on 28. So he gave away two. In the second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses even. And so he had 32 pounds to give away, a comfortable year's income. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds, and he gave away 62 pounds. In his life, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds in a year, but he rarely let his expenses rise above 30 pounds. He said that he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at one time. This so baffled the English tax commissioners that they investigated him in 1776, insisting for, that, for a man of his income, he must have silver dishes that he was not paying ex- excise tax on. He wrote to them, and these are his words, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more, so many round me, uh, while many round me want bread. When he died in 1971, at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins to be found in his pockets and his dresser. Most of the £30,000 he had earned in his life had been given away. He wrote, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence. But in every other, every other respect, my own hands will be my executors. In other words, I will put a control on my spending myself. And I will go beyond the tithe, beyond the offering, for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. That's a quote from Mission Frontiers, 1994. Quite astonishing, isn't it? That uh, Wesley himself, under his own control, was able to limit his expenditures even when his income increased. And he gave all that increase to the Lord. Well then, finally, we must remember that we cannot outgive God. And I think this is probably one of the most important ones we must remember. We cannot outgive God. Turn to Acts 17. Acts 17.
verse 24 and verse 25. Acts 17, 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything. The reality that we cannot outgive God comes from the truth that everything in heaven and on earth is his. As Luke says, he gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And by that word, everything, he means everything. All things. Turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Verse 9 through 11. This is a verse or verses that show us this, that all things are His. Psalm 50 and 9. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. They're his. They're not yours, they're his. For us to approach our giving with the mindset that we have found its source in us and our hard work is seen by God from Psalm 50 as an unacceptable offering. If you come to give sacrificially, generously, and Regularly, but you come with the mindset that I, I have from my own power and source, I have, have got this to give to God, then it is an unacceptable offering because we come with the wrong mindset, we come with the wrong desires in our hearts. Because what it should be is that when we see what we have and we willingly give it away, we should realize that we only have it because God has given it to us. I don't know how many times I've said that today. That's key. That changes everything when we think about finance and about giving. God will never be put in a position of a beneficiary It will not benefit him as a recipient. Okay? That's what a beneficiary is. Someone who will benefit from it. He will always be the benefactor. What's a benefactor? Well, it's a giver. It's a provider. And it's a helper. And we do put God in the position of a beneficiary if we come with the mindset that what we have and what we give has come from some source within ourselves. 
Why is he always going to be the benefactor? Why? Because then he gets the glory. He gets the glory. Turn back to 1 Chronicles 29. One Chronicles and twenty nine. Verse eighteen. Sorry, verse thirteen. One Chronicles twenty nine and thirteen. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name come from your hand and is all your own. What is the author saying? Well, the gifts that we bring to him, the gifts that we bring to him have already been given to us because he is the ultimate provider. What we have is not our own, You have what you have because God has blessed you with it, whether little or much. And not only do the gifts we have find their source in God, but our purposes as well. Our thoughts, our intentions are also sourced in God. Look at verse 18. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. There in his hand too, our purposes, our thoughts, our intentions. They're in his hands and we can pray to him to redirect our purposes, our thoughts and our, our intentions so that we may have the right heart as we give back to him. So our gifts find their source in God. Our giving finds its source in God so that he receives all of the glory. Well then, how do we respond as we finish? With all that we've heard today, how do we put this into practice tonight, tomorrow? How do we do it? Well, here's three things I have written down. You'll not be surprised by these. First one is this. Pray about your current giving. Maybe you give generously already. Maybe you give little or nothing. Maybe you forget about giving to the work of God. You need to evaluate that. I think it's important. I do not stand up here, I realize this, I do not stand up here as one who is, is eager to snatch your money out of your pockets. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying that this biblical, theological principle is true and real and it will be a blessing to you when it is worked out in your life. Secondly, reassess your current giving. Govern your income. Let's be governors, good governors of what God has already given to us. That's important. Govern our income well and set aside the first fruits of your income for the work of the Lord. After all, you, you have been blessed. We have been blessed with much. And thirdly, give cheerfully, secretively, and sacrificially. Don't leave today begrudgingly or begrudging the fact that you have to give. Be a cheerful giver. Give in private and give sacrificially knowing that what you, you are and what you are simply giving is something that already belongs to the one that you serve and you praise, and you worship. Be a cheerful giver. Let's be people who are giving cheerfully, secretively, and sacrificially. So pray about your giving, reassess your governing over your giving, and give cheerfully, secretively, and sacrificially. I hope that's been of some practical help to you tonight as we, at this stage in our series, just look at this principle of giving. Let's sing then together as we finish our evening.